But if you want to look like Jennifer Lopez, that's a full-time job. That's a personal trainer and a nutritionist and a skin doctor and a dermatologist and an aesthetic doctor and a hairdresser and all those things. Beauty Island, the beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I'm your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. In each episode, I sit down with the guests and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island, aka Beauty Island, that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the product that reminds them of their mum, the beauty product that define their teens, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. I am very excited to share today's episode with celebrity beauty editor, TV presenter, YouTuber, and one of my favourite beauty content creators, Nadine Baggett. As I mentioned last week, it's one I did when I was in London. I slid into Nadine's DMs, not expecting to hear back, and within a few hours we'd set a date to meet up at her agent's office to chat. In a world of 20-something beauty YouTubers, Nadine, in her mid-50s, does beauty for grown-ups, as she calls it. After 18 years as a celebrity beauty editor at Hello Magazine, and does she have some stories, including being told to fuck off by Kate Moss and sued by Naomi Campbell, frustrated by the slow uptake of print media to the digital space, she started a YouTube channel. She now does it full-time, has over 100,000 YouTube subscribers, and is represented by Gleam Futures, the same talent management as the likes of Zoella and Pixie Woo and many more. It was in their office that we met, a bustling building near Tottenham Court Road. Nadine is tall, confident, cool and utterly charming. You can see why she's such a brilliant journalist. She's warm, open, funny and is able to instantly put you at ease. This is a slightly longer episode than normal, but for good reason. We covered so many topics in the beauty space, with Nadine offering a no BS, upfront take on it all, from why she hates the term clean beauty, and the battle between science and marketing in the beauty industry, to whether expensive and cheap makeup is all coming from the same factory. I bet your ears pricked up a little at that. She shares the eight, plus a few more, products that have a special memory for her, why neck creams are a complete waste of money, and the face product that is confidence in a tube. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, rate five stars, and write a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find us. Oh, and share and tag me on your Instagram stories too. I love reposting and seeing where you're listening. Thank you also for the lovely welcome back and comments following the launch of season three last week. I hope you enjoyed this episode too. Now over to Nadine. Enjoy. Nadine, welcome to Beauty Island. I am very excited to have you on. Now, can you remember your first beauty-related memory? Probably my first beauty-related memory will be growing up in the 60s or 70s and my mum using oil of yule as it used to be called so oil of yule was this and still is this iconic in fact it's not this iconic pink lotion anymore but just the smell of it it sort of smelt of 
It's the only beauty product my mum used on her skin. So she used Imperial Leather Soap, any old shampoo, Vosine. It was the 70s. I mean, you know, we all did the same thing. And then she would have this ritual with this oil of Yule, which was in this pink glass square box. And it was just, yeah, it smelled sort of violets and roses and powder and I just remember it being the height of sophistication the only skincare item she ever used I remember exactly what her makeup routine was as well because my mum was a sort of my mum grew up in the sort of 40s and 50s so my mum was all about eyebrows and a, a fairly colourful lip so my mum would use her oil of Yule it's so funny calling it that now <laughs> her pink oil of Yule beauty fluid and then she would use Max Factor cream puff which was a flat compact circular powder stroke tinted foundation essentially so it's essentially a really early form of flat mineral powder and then she would use a Max Factor eyebrow pencil uh, no mascara no eye makeup at all no blush at all and then she would use Rimmel Heather Shimmer lipstick and that was a sort of probably her nod to sort of the 70s coming out of the 50s because I suppose in the 50s and 60s she would have used a brighter lipstick and to this day my mum still does exactly the same makeup <laughs> she still uses uh, Max Factor Creme Puff as it's called and that smells iconic as well it's brand loyalty for you now when you were growing up and particularly as a teenager was beauty something you were interested in from the start my I was you know it's so interesting because you know some people are so wedded to their early products but I couldn't actually remember the names of any of the products I used I can remember the brands and I can remember the feeling and I can remember the emotion attached to them so being a child of the 70s I kind of grew up with Charlie's Angels so they were the first people I remember looking at thinking I want to look like that and it was the original three Charlie's Angels so I remember the minty roll-on lip glosses, which, I mean, we used to have a brand in the UK that was owned by Boots called Seventeen, and Seventeen had them. So I used a lot of Rimmel and a lot of Seventeen. I remember Rimmel Hide the Blemish, which was the concealer we used. I never, I was very lucky. I never really had bad skin growing up. I did have one really stubborn, ugly <laughs> spot in the middle of my nose. So I used to use Clearasil and Hide the Blemish. So they were my early memories of skincare. And when it came to makeup, it was this sticky roll-on lip gloss. So those days when you know you're not really allowed to wear mascara or eye makeup, and you certainly don't wear face makeup apart from a bit of concealer. So you'd wear this really sticky roll-on lip gloss that kind of went with an era of roller skating and little t-shirts and denim shorts. It was that era. Obviously, your background is in journalism, although now you're doing much more of the YouTube and online things, which, of course, didn't exist 10 years ago, let alone when you were growing up. Did you have any idea what you envisioned your career would be, what, were you, what you would be when you grew up? Oh, well, I always wanted to be a journalist, but I can't say I kind of sat writing stories into the late night or, you know, under the covers or anything like that. So for me, it was a question of leaving university, thinking, what don't I want? And I didn't want a nine to five. I didn't want to wear a uniform. I kind of wanted to do something creative and a bit interesting. And then I just landed a temporary job on a magazine. And I remember looking across from the advertising team where I worked into the editorial team and just thinking they're having all the fun those women are super glamorous what are they doing and that was the point at which I thought actually that's what I could do I'm naturally inquisitive naturally nosy naturally talkative I get on really well with people and if you can just learn the skill of getting facts down on paper which is actually a skill rather than an art it's not like being a novelist or anything like that or a poet or something like that so if you can get that skill acquired then I already had the personality to be a journalist nosy talkative all those things and and, and by extension because it came from the extension of 
being a journalist, being a TV presenter and being a YouTuber, actually, you need a sort of similar personality skill set. I mean, I had a kind of long-term plan of sort of very long-term, in the distance, I can see the lights of what I wanted to do. But I just knew it would be slow and steady wins the race. And that's sort of my mission in life, really. Not never to be an overnight success. I knew that would never happen. I think maybe maybe it's coming from a working class background where I saw my parents just graft every day that I kind of knew. I remember thinking even when I was young, like when I'm 40, I'll be there. Or, you know, when I'm 30, I'll be there. Which we know doesn't really exist anyway. The overnight successes, is like you said, that take decades to actually yes. happen. Yes. Well, I mean, I think I, now I work in digital. I do know young people that have become incredibly famous and incredibly rich and successful very young and I'm kind of quite glad really that for me it was a slow and steady wins the pace because I've never really been phased by anything that's happened in my career I've kind of fake it till you make it and so as a result I think I'm quite grounded and I know that it can all be taken away from me but that I have a skill set that can transfer across and as you said mentioning that hard work ethic I think it was only a couple of years after you'd set your sights on the glamorous people across the office that you were a beauty editor yes. a few years yeah, later yeah no so so I was asked to apply for a job as a trainee journalist in those days it was all very unionized so you had to go away and you had to do a, a course and you became a member of the National Union of Journalists and I knuckled down and did that for about a year and a half but I was applying for every job on any any women's magazine going because obviously as a young woman I wanted to work in fashion and beauty and feature and so I trained as a features editor went to work on a women's magazine and again had that epiphany a little bit like you're looking across the the kind of those low office barriers and you think that that department's really good fun what's going on there and at the time I was a features writer which is a brilliant background anyway because it teaches you to ask all the right questions and to get all the facts down and it was the health and beauty department and that to me was perfect because it was glamorous in the sense that you did beauty but doing health as well I loved because I've always loved health and well-being so I kept a I managed to stay being a features editor and a journalist and apply it to a subject I found really interesting, which was beauty, really. But although, although, to be honest, like I said, you know, just remembering my little sticky rollable lip gloss, I never really was a beauty addict. And in a way, it's quite nice to write about a subject that you're, you find really interesting and efficacious, and I think it can change people's lives. But I'm not one of those... Sally Hughes is a friend of mine and she wrote that book Beauty Icons where she remembered every product she'd ever used. I don't have that sort of close linked emotional tie to beauty but in a way it's quite good because it allows me to stand back and criticise it and critique it and be much more level headed about it. I don't feel that emotional about beauty anymore maybe because I've seen Beyond the Velvet Rope too many times so I am not frightened to be an iconoclast and to kind of tear it down slightly. And we will get into that a bit later. Now a large proportion of your career you spent at Hello I think you were there for 18 18 years. years. 18 years. And obviously a large part of that particularly being a celebrity magazine is interviewing celebrities. celebrities. Yeah. The question that I have no doubt you've heard countless times are there any particular interviews that stand out for you or, or celebrities that you met that stand out, whether that's for good, good reasons and or bad? bad. <laughs> so uh, one of the most traumatic things I ever did was, I mean, apart from the fact, and I have no idea if you allow swearing on your podcast. You can say whatever you would yeah, like. Yeah, so Kate Moss told me to fuck off once at an award <laughs> ceremony because I was trying to get a quote from her. And when you work for a really iconic magazine, so I've worked for Marie Claire, I've worked for Living Magazine, I've worked for the Daily Mail before it went online and it was you know, a very well-respected uh, daily newspaper. And 
you kind of carry with you the status of that magazine. And Hello has its huge fans, but it also has its detractors. And if you'd ever pissed some off some celebrity somewhere down the line or if the magazine had, you would carry with you. So I remember saying, I, oh, hello, Kate. I'm Nadine from Hello Magazine. I was just wondering, could you tell me a little bit about why you're so excited to be at the, I think it was the British, British Fashion Awards. And she just went, oh, do fuck off. <laughs> and then I found out later that somewhere down the line, Hello had pissed her off. So I mean, I'm sure, you know, they run paparazzi shots. And by association, Naomi Campbell, I interviewed her when she launched one of her fragrances. And it was when she was going through a rough time and she didn't ever remember meeting me. So she took me to court as part of an adjunct deal My with gosh. the Daily Mirror because they had written a piece about her going into um, AA and NA. And Hello had referenced it in my article and so she took me to court as an adjunct to the mirror. And then afterwards said, I'm terribly sorry. Of course, I remember meeting you. You were an absolute delight and sent me flowers. The interesting thing about both of them is I now have friends, Mary Greenwell, Sam McKnight, who absolutely adore those two women. And so I think on reflection, my bad experience with them is, is more a reflection of what they're going through in their lives. If I'm going to be the adult in this relationship here, which I rarely am, it's because they're going through rough times. And I've since learned that with other celebrities as well. I've interviewed certain celebrities that have been signed to L'Oreal for years and years. And someday you'd get them on a good day and some of the days you'd get them on a bad day. And it's never really about you. It's about what's going on in their relationships and have they just renewed their contracts and, you know, have they been trolled on Twitter or whatever? You know, you can't take it personally. But what it has taught me over the years is that you can sit me in a room with virtually anybody for 15 minutes and I can dig deep and perform and get what I need out of it. And now, when you do that on print, it's quite easy to rewrite the story and to make it seem very different to what it was. So Hello never writes a negative word about anybody. So if you get a celebrity in a bad mood, you could you could write about what a lovely outfit she had on and, you know, and your journey and where you were overlooking in Cannes or, you know, wherever, you know, LA. When you're on video, it's very different because you can't you you can't make that person perform on video if they're not prepared to. And I normally come out of my interviews most recent one I went to Cannes and interviewed Helen Mirren and I come out and I instantly think it's awful because I know what it's like to be in that situation and to dig deep and to get that person to kind of tap dance on video for like 15 minutes or however long you've got them for and nine times out of ten I come out and I edit and I go actually that was better, better than I remembered from the outside it's better than than it seems on the inside and years 20 years of doing live tv has, has enabled me to get up perform hit my mark get out what I need and don't take it personally. You really can't. It's tough. I mean, I wouldn't want to be a celebrity, I have to say. I really wouldn't. I think that's also interesting as well because obviously in beauty we talk a lot about influencers and I listened to um, another uh, pod, great podcast interview that you did and you are kind of very specific about you're a journalist because your background is journalism. Yes. So you, you, you don't like being referred to as an influencer, is that right? Do you know I had to sign some contracts today? Because, by the way, we're in my office here at Gleam. So if you hear anything in the background, it's because Gleam is a really busy, busy, it's the biggest digital agent in the UK. And I have to sign contracts today. And I was signing them digitally and, you know, making sure I was getting paid and all that stuff, which, oh, God, thank heavens for agents because otherwise you'd never get paid. And I they always put your title, job title, and I always put content creator because I never know what to put. I think deep down inside in my genes, because I did it for so long, I'm a journalist and I'm very proud of being a journalist. I'm never, I've never considered myself to be a beauty editor. Beauty editors tend to love beauty first and 
and they're about creating beautiful images and creating captions and they're not really what I would call proper journalists and I don't think I'm necessarily a great writer but what I am really good at is getting to the truth of a story like really getting down to it and asking those basic questions and that's because I was trained to as a features writer so, and a news writer to do that what, where, when, how, who thing that, those cliches and even now if I'm doing live television or if I'm doing a video, if I'm doing whatever I'm doing, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to answer those questions all the time. So I'm not one of those YouTubers that gets on and then just waffles on for 10 minutes. I really don't. Like I've got in the back of my mind, I've got that, that, that agenda of, right, why am I here? What have I got to say? What are the points I've got to get across? Explain why that is relevant. Explain why that is particularly important for your viewers and then sign up and get out, tell them how to do it. That's it. It's very interesting because somebody was saying to me the other day, I really don't know that much about you personally. And I'm just like, it's true. You don't know whether I've got a kind of got a boyfriend, you know, I've got two cats because I've got a cat account, obviously. But you know, you don't necessarily know where I live or, you know, know what I look like from the waist down because it's all about me trying to be a journalist online. And I think when I made the decision to move over to digital, I think it was because I thought nobody else was really doing what I was doing. And I tried to do it on print and I'd seen and I tried to do it on television and I'd seen those markets collapse, traditional media collapse. So when I went across, I always had the same agenda. And that's one thing that's been completely stable and sort of sewn within, threaded within my entire career, no matter what I do. It's, I've always got that journalist, that old school journalist hat on. At that moment, I'm thinking, I've just watched the, Fo the Fosse Verdon uh, FX series. I'm like, at this point, I've got like a pork pie hat with like a press pass in it. But that's almost how I see myself. Off the back of talking about celebrity interviews, obviously, when you're talking about beauty with celebrities, it's usually they're tied promoting a product mm -hmm. or a brand. And I know it's the, you always ask about, you know, the secret to their great skin. It's always something like drinking water oh, or God, yeah. something Some like supermodels say eight hours sleep and drinking three litres of water. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Sure. Not good genes? <laughs> <laughs> but there's been a lot of interesting conversations lately, particularly a brilliant piece on The Atlantic, I think it was, mm -hmm. earlier this year or last year, about the secret to great skin is not, uh, it's not water, it's not treatments, it's money and having yeah. a lot of it. Do you think that people who are in the public faces, whether it's actors, actresses, celebrities, have should be a bit more transparent about really what goes yeah. on? I'm all about transparency and authenticity. And I think that's partly because at my age, by the time I'm creating content, nobody's really following me because I'm a Kardashian. I think there's, there's a sort of faux authenticity that's going around at the moment, which is that sort of perfect case in point, look at the Kardashians and they're all talking about having PRP and they're all talking about having facials but we all know who they're going to and what they're having done, um, certainly in the industry, you know. And I think there's a lot of women who I look up to who have turned kind of 50 recently. So you've got Jennifer Aniston and Jennifer Lopez and people like that. They'll sort of faux authenticate the fact that they have a little bit of laser, but they're not really talking about the extent of the work they're having doing. And I think it's interesting. I think I think anybody can have great skin, but I think as you get older, it costs more and more to have great skin. And that's because there comes a point where skincare can only do so much. So you've essentially got to have lasers, you've got to have fillers, you've got to have skin boosters, you've got to have Botox, whatever. I mean, you don't have to, nobody has to do any of that. But if you want to look like Jennifer Lopez, that's a full-time job. That's a personal trainer and a nutritionist and a skin doctor and a dermatologist and an aesthetic doctor and a hairdresser and all those things. And I think for my generation, I think we realize that we're never going to look like that. But I think for a young generation, the danger of social media is when people think they can look like Kylie Jenner, when it costs so much money to look like that. But then by the same token, we all love a transformation story. 
you know somebody said to me the other day they were talking about I think they might have sent on DM somebody had sent me a picture of Jennifer Lopez going oh my god she looks amazing and I said just if ever you're in doubt just google before and after that person's name and cosmetic surgery I said and all those images are out there for you to see if you just dig a little bit deeper you'll see what people look like I mean even I'm fascinated by before and afters of Kim Kardashian I mean I just think it's really interesting I googled Ryan Gosling the other day <laughs> and he's had such a good nose job Rygos you're looking great yeah do you follow celeb face on Instagram I love yeah. celeb face on Instagram it's one of my guilty secrets yeah I have two guilty secrets celeb face which is before and after cosmetic surgery or before and after face tuning and my other one is anything by Bravo so any of those Real Housewife <laughs> franchises I love that but I feel in a way I kind of identify with the Real Housewife wives franchise because they all own up to what they have done like you know they all have their facelifts and then they rock up for filming two weeks and they've still got the bandages on and the sticky tape I kind of admire that really I think in a way being authentic and being honest is something that comes with confidence in a way so hopefully as you get older you become more confident so you become much more honest and I think from my point of view when I want people to look at me I want people to look at me I always talk about how old I am. I always talk about the work I have done. I always talk about the skincare and the makeup and all the tricks and the lighting and stuff like that. And I think what I want to do is I want to, I want somebody to look at me and go, oh my God, that's okay. I've seen her on her bad days. I've seen her on her good days. I see that she doesn't filter her face. Okay, I can look like that. On a good day, maybe I can look like that using the same product she's had. What I don't want is anybody to look at me and go, well, I'm never going to look like that in a million years because I've lied. And that's, I'm all about trying to empower people to feel better about themselves and to know what works and what doesn't. And to realize that you don't have to spend a fortune on skincare, but there does come a point where treatments are involved. And this is how, this is the downtime and this is what works and what doesn't. It's simple, really. And exactly as you said, you were obviously very transparent. You um, even painfully like, transparent. <laughs> I love your the beauty hag series that you. Yes, with, with my lovely friend Joe. Yeah. <laughs> and recently, you did a video about going for Botox and things like that. Yeah. I feel particularly with Botox and fillers. Do you think it has become less taboo to talk about it, or because we're seeing more people do it, more people are going, ah, oh, maybe that's something that I could try. Both. So I think it's become much more accessible and much more available and much more affordable and much more acceptable in the sense that young people are talking about having it done. In fact, research shows that people under 30 are much more transparent about having work done because for them, there's no stigma attached to it. Whereas people over 50 who actually ironically get more work done, they're the ones that don't really talk about it. For me, I just think I always know that if I mention a video or work I've had done, I know that my engagement will go down and my followers will tail off slightly because people don't of a certain age don't want to engage but I also think in the long term numbers are going up because people are even if they choose not to have it they want to know about it they want to be educated and it's the same with anything you know I might do a video about prescription strength retin-a well a lot of people are not going to use it but they'll still want to know about it I did a video where my microblading went hideously wrong and I showed my groucho marks eyebrows afterwards people are just interested because they'll and i want people to learn by my mistakes i always say that i'm the human guinea pig i do it so you don't have to but if i do it and it works then you can do it if you want to tell me about the third product on your list your next product one of the questions you asked me actually so so going back historically you were talking about fragrances and it's very interesting because i i've won awards for writing about fragrances and i very rarely wear it 
And it was really interesting preparing for this podcast because it made me dig deep into my memories of fragrance. And I have two fragrances, both of which I still love to this day, uh, both of which are related to my father, who is no longer with us, but I was, he was basically the love of my life. He was such an incredible man and he taught me to... I think because maybe I didn't have brothers, he taught me that I could be whatever I wanted to if I just worked hard enough and I knuckled down, I could do it. And the first fragrance he ever bought me was Givenchy 3, and I still love it to this day. They've changed it slightly, but it's a very woody, citrusy fragrance. And my favourite all-time men's fragrance is the original Dunhill for Men, which was launched in 1934 because he used to wear it. And they have tweaked it slightly and it's not the same. But my mum still has his original bottle on the side and every so often we go home and we have a kind of sniff at it. And it's such a beautiful fragrance. And interestingly enough, both of those have informed my taste in fragrances because much as I love a sort of portrait of a lady Frederick Mal room rocker what I really love is citrus and cool woods so I love all of the molecule series because they're very cool woods and actually beneath Givenchy 3 and Dunhill they've got those cool woods wood which are really pleasant to smell and I really love so yeah they're my fragrances and actually my favorite all-time fragrance isn't even a fragrance it's a room fragrance by a diptyque called feu de bois which is fire of woods and it smells like wooden kind of like fresh wood fires burning bonfires and i love it and i always scent my house with it and people come over in the summer and they go why does your house smell of no november the 5th like why does it smell of bonfire night and i absolutely love it and if they ever turned that into a fragrance i'd wear it and i think it's interesting isn't it some people like vanilla fragrances because they grew up with vanilla fragrances and stuff like that and and lavender and it reminds them and i think for me my probably my grounding figure in my life was my father and he used to wear this cool wood fragrance and so for me i quite i found it i find it quite comforting that smell of cool woods i quite like it it makes me a little bit of a freak because i like masculine fragrances and actually when i interviewed Elle McPherson who's I always say every woman should have a they should ideally get to meet the the celebrity that's them perfected so if I was to you know probably a stone less weight on me and have worked out every day and followed whatever rigorous hideous regime that poor woman must do to look like that at her age I always think I'd look like Elle McPherson and interestingly enough she wears a Guerlain fragrance and she wears, and she was saying that she loved that cool wood of the masculine fragrance because she was very close to her father as well. And I thought that was really interesting. So I love masculine fragrances on women. As you mentioned before, the kind of tagline of your YouTube channel is uh, beauty for grownups, yeah. which I really Minimum like. effort, maximum results, <laughs> beauty for grownups. And what was the, so obviously your background is in print journalism, magazines. What was the catalyst for jumping online and, and making that first YouTube video? I had lunch with a friend of mine who had been in London. She's American, but she'd been in London for a very long time. And she decided to go to America to work because there's only so much you can do in London. And she wanted to go to New York. And she went to New York and she was global digital content director for Maybelline and was creating incredible award-winning cutting-edge campaigns and this was probably about five years ago so nobody was really the really smart people were doing digital content but most traditional journalists were still looking down their noses at digital content uh, which I think it still happens even today sadly and what happened was I had lunch with her one day and she said to me oh my god Nadine you know I used to be a traditional PR now I just do digital content and digital PR she said there is a revolution coming magazines are folding left right and center traditional media is folding left right and center all the advertising money is being taken out of traditional media and TV and going into digital. You need to start creating digital content. And it's very funny because I think for a couple of years, I fought to try and get the magazine I was working on to support me 
and even they couldn't see it. And I still think a lot of English magazines don't see it. And it was only when the ad revenue started to disappear that magazines started to panic. And in the end, I did it for two years with a full-time job. And interestingly enough, the magazine who ignored my digital advice for years, the minute I started monetizing it, came after me and said, oh, you can't do this. Like, that doesn't make sense. You need to do this via the magazine. And I just like, mm, I tried to teach you for two years. You ignored me. Nobody got it. And it's very interesting because bearing in mind, I'm 20 years older than most of the people I'm working with. And I always think if I can see this happening, you, you know, and digital is supposed to be a young market and, a, you know, a, a young sphere to work in. How can you not see this? This is as plain as the nose on your face. And I still think to this day, a lot of traditional media, a lot of traditional television, a lot of traditional magazines and newspapers are what I call organizing the deck chairs um, on, on the Titanic. And they really, they're so busy worrying who's going to get the best deck chair on the Titanic. The rest of us have got on a boat and sailed away and we're watching it sinking. And I think it's sad because my heart traditionally will always be in television and, you know, newspapers and magazines. But by the same token, if you create great content, digital content, and you've got that sort of that structure of being an old school television presenter and journalist, you can create really great content online. Um, obviously I didn't do it for two years because I was still a snob and I was ridiculous and I waited for a magazine to to help me and I didn't want to learn to edit and film and all those things those skill sets you need to do but in the end I just thought do it and my only regret is I didn't do it straight away the minute she told me I should have gone online bought the kit and started straight away and I think if you wait for your first piece of content to be perfect you'll never publish your first piece of content you just have to do it and learn on the job. You really do. And I remember one of my first pieces of content saying, I promise I'll get better. And everybody went, we don't care. Like, it's, we're not here because you're using drones and looking great in a bikini. We're listening to what you're saying. And that's really important. And so, yeah, my only regret is I didn't do it sooner. And obviously you look at popular beauty influences, particularly, you know, on press trips and things like that. And there's definitely an age skew towards, you know, Oh, super young. Under. They're all young. And even... Oh, as I'm I, the mum on those trips. <laughs> <laughs> as I was coming here, I was really struggling to think of an Australian, of Australian influence who are over 30, yeah. particularly in the beauty sphere. Does it still kind of surprise you or do you think it's changing the lack of focus on from brands and from even um, magazines in focusing on kind of an older demographic particularly you know the purchasing power and the buying power of you know half the population well it well it was interesting because this friend going back to that lunchtime conversation my friend said to me so this is happening money's being taken out of traditional media it's all going in with these influencers I'm working with these influencers and they're amazing Nadine and they're really smart and they're really talented and they're really engaged but I don't want to I don't want to watch an 18-year-old or a 25-year-old because she was obviously, she's about seven years younger than me. She goes, I, I kind of want somebody that knows what they're talking about. It's not just their opinion. It's kind of informed and interesting and well put together. And, and I want your advice because basically she said to me, what you want to do is you want to create, when we all go out for the night and if anybody finds out what you do for a living, the first thing he goes, right, so what should I be using on my skin? And let me show you this rash and let me show you my child's spots and, and tell me what works and what doesn't and you know is it worth buying this really expensive cream and basically well, you need to create that in video content exactly that experience who when people find out what you do for a living and you've been doing it for 30 years just create that in video content and I think that 
was part of the impetus. But the other impetus was suddenly in my own industry realising that my industry was no longer speaking to me. So it had completely been obsessed with speaking to me when I was in my teens and 20s and 30s and even early 40s. But the minute I hit 50, I was invisible to my industry. I was not being reflected back. I wasn't in any of the ad campaigns. And I don't mean me personally, but there were no women over 50. Even if they were selling creams to women over 50, they were hiring women who were 30. So that sort of slightly political correct started and and that's what's great about social media is it's, it can be so inclusive and I think at the same time as as women of color were thinking well just a second I've got a lot of money here just like the pink pound was saying gay guys were saying I've got a lot of money here you know why are you ignoring me why aren't you reflecting me back and I think slow to that game was women over 50 and then when I actually did the the research you know by 2020 over 50 percent of the British population will be over 50 and they have 70% of the disposable income, the discretionary disposable income. So it doesn't make sense for beauty brands to ignore them. They're loyal, they have more money to spend, and they feel like they're being ignored. So if a beauty brand is smart and jumps onto that bandwagon, I don't think for a second beauty brands are any more interested in women of color or gay, gay men or gay women or women over 50. They just want to follow where the money is. So for me, it was it was basic it was absolute like I can do this I'm the right age to do it. I have the right experience to do it and brands are going to need to speak to somebody over 50 so who are they going to speak to and there was literally only me doing it there I think there are four American women doing it who are really successful and do great things but there was nobody so there's a there's an ex-news reporter there's an ex-actress there's a couple of kind of just housewives who are really great at what they do I don't think there's anybody in Australia doing it. And I was literally the only person doing it. I mean, I've got friends within the industry who were in their 40s and who are journalists. Uh, one who's literally just turned 50 and is an, an ex-retailer, beauty therapist, skin therapist. So she knows what she's talking about. But generally, there was nobody just going, actually, hey, I'm over 50. Let's do this. Let's talk about what it's like to get older, what works, what doesn't. The other thing that happened is this huge revolution in skincare in that that suddenly really great products were available that were affordable. So you didn't have to spend £200 on a ridiculous miracle pot of cream. Mm. You could actually go out and buy active ingredients that worked. And I just think, I just realised that nobody was doing it. I kind of took a leap of faith in the sense that I did it in my spare time, which made me very unpopular with my boyfriend because I had to work every weekend for two, two years. And then what happened was the, man, the owner of Gleam saw me one day at a launch and said, I've got I know who you are. I've got my eye on you. And I was like, what? Like less than 10,000 YouTube subscribers. Why you? Why would you be interested in me? And I think through friends in the industry, I'd come on his radar. And he said, when you're ready, come in and have a talk. And then a year later, I, I came in and given up on magazines. I kind of, I will say I had a proverbial sort of like bruise on my forehead from smashing my head on the wall saying, please, come on, create digital content. This is the future. This is where the ad revenue is. And so I just thought I'll create my own content and do it. And yeah, so I came in a year and a half later and signed to Gleam. And I think that was the real impetus of thinking, actually, I can do this. Because obviously, any management company is only going to sign you if they can make money out of you. So they knew that they didn't they didn't have the talent to offer somebody over 45 or over 50 and actually gleam have since hired a lot more people who are in that age demographic because they realize that is the future that's where the money is you have also written a great article about the anti-anti-aging movement yes um which i think is also really interesting in how yes 
how the conversation about ageing has changed. But unlinked to that is um, a great interview you did with Helen Mirren recently mm-hmm. in Cannes. And I thought it was great about, we talk about being older and ageing and you realise how relative it is because yeah. she told you you're not old. Like. Well, it's very interesting because I, I normally would start my all my videos off with hi and welcome back and everything. The, I, luckily enough, the camera was rolling from the minute I sat down. And I said, look, I feel like she only approved two videos she hardly works with any magazines at all so she'd approved this morning which is the tv show i used to work on on myself and i felt like i had to go like i can't just go hi i'm nadine barry she's gonna who the hell are you i felt like i had to justify who i was so i sat down i said oh helen just to let you know i started a youtube channel two years ago for older women because nobody else was doing it and it's so we're going to talk a little bit about attitudes to beauty and attitudes to aging but just to put it into context and she sat down and she went okay and she went but you're not old enough to talk about getting older and i said i think so I've had a birthday since then. I said, oh, I'm 56. And she went, yeah, that's not old enough. And I think that's a really sobering thought to say to people because it's true because I have friends who panic about turning 30 and 40. And I get it. Like, I, I, I hated turning 40. But it's, it's absolutely in context when you turn 50. And I'm staring down the barrel of 60 now. So I get it. And to her, 60 would be young because she's 73. So I thought that was a really important thing to keep in. Also, her telling me off for wearing a jumpsuit because I had to be mic'd up. So I had to virtually strip naked in front of this poor sound man. And I just think, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I said to her, even though she denied it, that's why she's a role model to so many women. Because one, obviously she's fabulous and feisty and sweary and talented. And she has this incredible voice and this incredible career that has just, you know, most women disappear over the age of 40 in Hollywood and she's completely broken that mold. And she denies she is a role model. But to me, and I think to a lot of women, she is, you know, for me... I think the secret to feeling good about getting older is to have role models who are older than you, who you can look at and aspire to be. So I've always had Madonna breaking down boundaries. You know, she's, what, five years older than me. And I think, you know, Helen Mirren and Julianne Moore and Susan Sarandon and all those people, you know, Gloria Steinem, all those amazing women who you've kind of grown up with. And I just think that's what I'd quite like to be for people. I'd quite pe- Jo said it really nice in one of the Beauty Hacks videos. She said, I'd quite like to be somebody who the girls who she works with say oh you're 44 it's quite cool being older I don't I don't mind that and I'd quite like somebody to look at me and go oh it's not that bad being in your 50s like Nadine's okay she hasn't you know lost the plot yet (laughs) the fourth product on your list tell me what it is and and why it's special to you it cosmetic cc cream and I tell you why because I never wore liquid makeup until I started filming I always wore mineral powder because basically I'm lazy and I want minimum effort maximum results so I use bare minerals and I use Laura Mercier And I still to this day love powder. But when I started filming, I needed something with a little bit more coverage. And I get lots of compliments on my skin. And I swear it's just a cosmetic CC cream, which isn't actually a CC cream. It's a full coverage foundation. And it was created by this main amazing woman called Jamie Lynn Kerner, who suffers from rosacea. And she basically formulated it. And she used to go on QVC. And then she would talk about the foundation. And it would sell averagely. And then she would take her makeup off live on air and show her rosacea underneath. And her rosacea is very bad. And sales would go through the roof. And I don't have rosacea and I don't have breakouts. But, you know, we all have things. I've got, you know, some sun damage and I've got some broken veins. And I just think that's confidence in a tube. That and the little brush that goes with it. I put a fairly, like, one full pump on and it's ready to go. And I set it with Makeup Forever HD uh, Loose Powder. I'm a complete powder. I'm such a 90s girl. 
such a 90s girl i do love a demi matte face and then put the highlighter in afterwards i don't like that sort of shimmery skin thing i don't get it also i think it's much less flattering unless you have perfect face unless you have the skin of kylie jenner or <laughs> kim kardashian you're not getting away with it so yes that has been a real eye-opener for me and actually as a result it's made me much more open to testing new makeup because i I test new skincare the whole time, but I tend to be stuck in a bit of a makeup rut. Thanks to Bobby Brown and Mac. <laughs> I peaked in the 90s and I'm fine with that. And that's just because you found the products that work yeah. for you early on and you stick with them. Because that's what I was going to ask. Are you, do you experiment with your makeup? Has your, your look and your makeup bag changed much over the years? I, I mean, really? I do change my makeup, but I always end up doing the same look. And it's very interesting. Today I don't have eyeshadow on. Normally I'm a total smoky eye, naked lip, you know, fairly demi-matte face person. And I think... Even to this day, who I was looking at somebody the other day, one of the amazing makeup artists I follow on Instagram, like Hung Van Gogh or somebody like that. And he did this look and I was like, oh my God, I love that look so much. And he was like, 90s inspiration. I was like, oh my God, I am stuck in a rut. Mm -hmm. So for me, my era of working on Marie Claire was where we used to see all the unretouched images come in of the, the models. So it was like Christy Turlington, Linda Evangelista, Tatiana. And I still, to this day, love that Kevin O'Quan kind of quite demi-matte shades of brown look. And I think about the makeups. It's very interesting because you asked me about makeup that I, I used through the 70s and 80s. And I genuinely, like, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I'm like, yeah, whatever, a bit of Rimmel, a bit of 17. But I remember the first time I tried MAC or the first time I tried Bobbi Brown. I was like, this is my, like, you know, I was in my 30s, had a bit more money. I bought into that whole concept of Mac and the two Franks that started it and the fact that they were inclusive of every gender and every skin color and they did all those tones and and then Bobby just did that best version of you makeup and to me and then Bobby introduced me to tight lining which is I've got quite small quite hooded Eastern European eyes and it suddenly opened up my eyes and a great mascara and I just thought I get it like I get that some of the most amazing makeup artists I follow like I follow Sam and Nick Chapman who are the pixie woo girls as well and I love what they do and I basically love every picture they put up but that's not what I'm about I just I always say my makeup uh, philosophy is just not to scare small children and animals I just want to look okay when I leave the house and it's pretty much all the same now obviously social media has made anyone on it and particularly you you're contactable and accessible yes. for anyone I mean even me I <laughs> message you that's how we connected and I imagine that you get a lot of people asking you questions DMs yeah which with um, pictures attached oh. and I'm never sure if I should open the picture <laughs> luckily enough I think I'm wary. too old to get the dick pic but I do get a lot of rashes <laughs> and a lot of spots <laughs> A lot of unidentified skin issues. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but I imagine it's kind of the greatest market research because you're speaking directly to your, your audience and people and, and, and really understanding what people are thinking about and wanting yes. to know. What is the, kind of the one question or, or topic that you get the most questions about? It's, it's about? normally problem skin and it's normally congestion. And it's either from young followers who've got problem skin or it's menopausal followers who've started to get problem skin again or it's mums asking about their children and it's very interesting because although I started my YouTube channel for what I thought would be 40 plus and actually I do skew 35 to 45 heavily but I do have followers who are everything from 15 to 75 so it's normally a problem skin something like yeah congestion or blackheads or something like that but my one takeaway 
and I think this is really important for anybody, is when you work on a magazine, you're very much under the umbrella of that magazine. So people can't really get hold of you. I mean, back in the day, they would send letters and you'd get a sack of mail and you'd open it up every six months. And on TV, you'd do TV and then you'd come off and you'd go into the phone-in room and you'd answer a few questions or emails or whatever. But there's nothing like the direct message. Like people literally can tell you exactly what they think about you and ask you questions in a heartbeat. And I always say I try to go out of my way to answer all my questions. And I think the most humbling experience is when you write about a product you love and generally I don't buy into expensive skincare at all but you know there are a few products that I love from brands like SkinCeuticals or Medicaid or Zoe or Badgie or something like that and I think it's very humbling when you talk about a product and somebody goes you do know that that's my food budget for a family of four for a week and so in the back of my mind I'm always looking for high street alternatives I'm always looking for dupes and I'm very wary of partnering with or working with companies that have huge price points because I think the 1% of the population they're speaking to is great, but that's not where my heartland is. And I think also, I think it's because I think back to my mum and dad working in factories their whole lives. You know, it was a, it was a big deal. My mum only got her appetite for Guerlain skincare when she's like getting it free off me, trust me. <laughs> she was an Olay girl through and through back in the day. So yeah, it's made me much more aware of the bubble that a lot of beauty content is created in. And it's my aim in life to burst that bubble. And that's something you that I've loved that you've been doing recently with your Instagram TV episodes where yes. you've been going into yeah. high street shops and kind of being thrown out (laughs) but not before taking people shopping well one of the things that I said to people was I remember running a competition I think probably when I I can't remember hit 55,000 on Instagram or something I said what would you like to win would you like products they went what I'd really love to win is for you to take me personally beauty shopping but obviously I've got followers all over the world so I thought how can I do this in a way that everybody can benefit from and then IGTV came along and obviously it completely flopped for the first year and then IG Instagram obviously realized that they needed to promote it so they made it shareable on main grid and if you do create little hint for everybody if you do create IGTV it pushes you up the algorithm so more people see your content which is really important if you're a content creator and I just thought I know what I'll do I will I was in I think I was in Selfridges once doing, no, I was at Space NK doing an event and they had their videographer there and it was the day after IGTV launched and I just said, should we do a come shopping with me? Like fashion people do it the whole time. Trini had done it for years going around Zara and all that stuff. And I just thought nobody's doing it for beauty. I'll do it for beauty. And the first time I did it and we didn't show on main grid, it sort of of sat bubbling away, not very successful. And then I came back and I thought, I'll just, when they allowed you to reshare on the grid, I'll reshare on the grid. And it went bonkers. And the most popular ones, although people want me to do Harrods and Harvey Nichols and Selfridges and stuff like that, the most popular ones are things like Superdrug, which is our high street equivalent, like really basic store, boots. Funnily enough, I did the Superdrug one. I think I did a two or three part Superdrug one. And then I did the Pat McGrath pop-up at Selfridges. And the Pat McGrath pop-up at Selfridges was like a third as popular as the boots and Superdrug one. And again, it's because the vast majority of people are not going to high-end stores. They really aren't. I mean, you know, I always say if you've got to put it on a credit card and you can't pay that credit card off at the end of the month, no product is worth it. It's really not worth it. And then at the same time, the revolution happened with Brandon and The Ordinary and the inky list and revolution and all these amazing dupe products came along and I just thought people need to know about these products these are these are really great products you're not going to get the component tree and I always joke that if if you have to rip 
your nail opening up a pallet's not worth it. But once you're inside, they're coming from the same factories, people, the same factories. You know, they're going to fall apart probably within six months in the bottom of your bag and you're going to hate me because you're going to have a glitter bomb in your handbag and you'll have to throw away your handbag probably. But same componentry, different componentry, cheaper componentry, same active ingredients, same pigments. Dupes are where it's at, people. One of the things that, as you kind of stated, is kind of your your mission is to be honest and outspoken mm-hmm. about beauty products. You're not afraid to kind of say the things that other people won't say, which some people are not quite so forthcoming in doing. Has being outspoken ever got you into trouble? And do you have a principle of if you don't like something, really don't like something or have a problem with it, will you not talk about it or will you talk about the negative side of things? Is it no, by omission or...? It, Mainly it's by omission, so you won't see me work with really high-end companies. And it's not that I haven't been asked, trust me. So you won't see me ever work with a company who's just kind of selling a £200 pot of Miracle Cream. You just it's not, it's not where I am at. Because I just think, actually, if I lost my job tomorrow and I get paid quite well to do what I do now after struggling for years as a journalist, would I go out and buy that product with my own money? So I'm quite happy to talk about Medicaid and um, Neostrata and SkinCeuticals because I would use those products and I think they're based in active ingredients that work will I go out of my way to find dupes for them yes will I talk about them yes because not everybody can have those sorts of budgets will I talk about pot of cream that has an active ingredient that's been picked by virgins on the I don't know the river whatever tigress at dawn no I won't because I don't buy into that and I've also been as a journalist on those trips for years and I've seen them launch a new product every six months and I've seen marketing sadly overtake science in skincare which I think is heartbreaking so not only are they not worth it they don't work I mean it's just you're buying into a dream I think and when I interviewed Brandon I think he said it who's he's sadly missed in our industry I think he said you know I don't have any problem buying into a dream as long as you tell me it's a dream. And people always say to me, oh, but oh, it's no fun if you're buying science. And I go, well, if you want your fun, just, you know, buy a great fragrance. I've got no problem buying into a really expensive fragrance, like a Tom Ford fragrance or something like that. That's no problem at all. I understand why they are selling dreams. They're, they're not selling efficacious skincare but you can buy great efficacious skincare on the the high street actually i did get caught out once really badly i did a and trini's a really good friend of mine but i did a taxi she has a a show called in the trini taxi time or something and in the back of there and we did this thing where she was asking me difficult questions and she said name a product that you've written about that you didn't believe in and obviously I wasn't on a magazine anymore so I could say it and I said every single season I had to do a roundup of fragrances that were launched new for that season and I absolutely hate 90% of fragrances because they're fruity and they're sickly and they're not my taste and she said so what did you do and I said I just used to stick them all on a page and do a beautiful still life and write some captions but you have to accept the fact that not everybody has the same taste in fragrance as you and then she said name a skincare brand that is for you massively overhyped and I went yeah creme de la mer creme de la mer Oops, sorry, creme de la mer. I still think so. I know people that love it that have got dry skin. I know that the broth is proven in certain clinical trials to work, but no cream's worth 250 quid. I mean, that's just madness. That's madness. And it's what you've said 
everybody wants that miracle in the jar yeah. that will be the one thing that will fix everything it just yeah. doesn't exist. it doesn't exist no slow and steady wins the race with skincare and speaking of kind of buzzwords or beauty trends are there any that kind of when you see talking about that marketing hype that really piss you off natural. i know you've you yeah. heard you speak about yeah. clean beauty i can't bear i can't i literally can't bear it and even if the brand comes from an intentionally honest and open and good place. So I do think there are brands that are trying to, like, for example, Lush is incredible in the UK. Personally, I can't walk into the store because the fragrance is enough to... Amazing. It's, it's basically like mass market angel. I can't bear angel <laughs> either. So for me, it's an instant headache. But what they're trying to do in terms of solid cleansing bar, no packaging, plastic free, is incredible. Like, I support that brand 100%. And I think it's really important. And I think your generation will be the generation that will save the world. So I totally get that even though I wouldn't use the products on my skin because just for me they're too heavily fragranced but for a brand to come from a perspective of marketing and to market it as clean what you're essentially saying is every other brand is dirty when you're saying natural you're saying every other brand is unnatural and those terms are in no way legislated for so anybody can use them anybody can say their products are organic anybody can say that they're natural anybody can say they're clean without actually meaning anything and I did a couple of videos with Sam Farmer who's a brand founder in the UK and his has actually retrained as a, a formulating chemist and works with some amazing scientists and it drives him mad too because somebody came for him recently because they were like toxin free toxic and all that stuff and they were talking about aluminium and deodorants and he's like it's all just google scaremongering it's the kind of goopification of beauty and it comes from a place i totally understand that it comes from a place of the organic food industry because we all want the best quality ingredients locally sourced you know with minimum pesticides that makes complete sense but you can't translate those terms to beauty because everything everything people is made in a lab everything has to be cosmetic quality so it has to be triple filtered to be cosmetic quality and by the same token you know if you want your product to be natural and it's say it's derived from palm trees or it's derived from seaweed or it's derived from coral what are you going to do you're going to take the coral out the environment are you going to rip down the tree are you going to rip out the plant you can't do that because you would literally be laying i mean look at the palm tree oil industry is perfect case in point you'd be laying entire continents to waste if you did that and i think we need to learn from that so why not recreate it in a lab if it's the same active ingredient salicylic acid is derived from willow bark you can't fell entire forests of willow bark we need them to clean the air uh, to take the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere to try and combat global warming that makes complete sense so if you can create that in a lab and a scientist can do that, why wouldn't you do it? It just, to me, it doesn't make sense. People aren't thinking it through. I think they're thinking emotionally and with their heart and with their gut instinct and they're not thinking it through logically. I do think science will save the world. I don't think science is perfect, but I think science is continually striving to be perfect. And yeah, and for me, the celebrities like Michelle Pfeiffer and her clean fragrance or Gwyneth Paltrow, I've interviewed them all. I think they genuinely believe what I said in my interview with Sam. I genuinely believe, like Courtney, Courtney Kardashian I believe they think they're coming from a place where they're trying to do good so I have empathy for those women Sam just thinks they're all in it for the money <laughs> he said hurt. it not me so yeah absolutely the fifth product on your list tell me about that going back to Bobby Brown it would be my Bobby Brown black plum eyeshadow which I basically wear as an eyeliner every day and I'm not that fussy about which one I use but I team it with an eyeliner 
So I feel like I've got really small eyes. So I, Bobby Brown and by association, Hannah Martin taught me to tight line my eyes, which is to do the inner waterline at the top. And I'm rubbish at it. I'm rubbish. It instantly smudges on the bottom and everything like that. But I quite like that rock and roll cake moss look. That's my excuse anyway. And then I set it with Bobby Brown Black Plum. It's a single matte dark brownie purple eyeshadow. And I, and I smudge it in with the NARS smudgy brush. And I swear I did a whole page in Grazia magazine about it. And they saw sales rocket because I call it the idiot proof eyeliner i can't do liquid eyeliner it's like it would never be right and i've got hoodie eyes and wrinkles and it would all go wrong but that's like my idiot proof eyeliner and that i always feel that and a mascara and i'm set for the day another popular thing that you do with your videos or, or just your content in general is of this obviously this beauty myth busting yes um, and one of the ones that i really liked great headline of the video which was neck creams are probably a con yeah can you tell me a bit more about that particular myth <laughs> about why we're wasting our time with neck creams. Well, because the skin on your neck is fundamentally no different than the skin anywhere else. I mean, it's finer, so it's the same skin as around your eyes. However, if like me, you don't really use heavy creams, you just layer serums and I'm a serumaholic, then the serum, the idea between behind using a separate neck cream or a separate eye cream is that somehow you need a different level of active ingredients and you don't. You need exactly the same active ingredients everywhere on your body. So you need vitamin A, you need vitamin C, you need an exfoliating acid. They're the same active ingredients that have been around for ages that have proven time and time and time again to work why would it be any different on your neck as it would be around your eyes? I guess the only argument would be that your neck, the skin on your neck is finer, like it is around your eyes. But if you're not wearing a heavy cream anyway, the serum goes everywhere. My serums go everywhere. Hairline to nipple, morning and night. And I just do the same things every single day. So I use an antioxidant, which is normally vitamin C based and ferulic acid based. I use a hyaluronic acid and then I use a hydrating glycerin. That's it. And then at night, I use an antioxidant to repair my skin. I use a hyaluronic acid and then I use a retinol. And it's really that simple. It's the same active ingredients. It's not an obscure plant picked by virgins or monks. If any skincare, but in neck creams were anti-gravity, and let's not even start on body products that claim outrageous things, then you'd just be able to, you wouldn't need a rocket to get a man into space. You'd just stick an astronaut, stick Buzz Aldrin on it and send him up. Yeah, that I mean, it's just crazy. It's madness. And it's marketing hype. And I think over the years, what I've learned is that is that the marketeers have, and actually now to a degree, the retailers have a powerful voice when it comes to developing products as scientists. And that's wrong. Marketeers and retailers retailers and consumers should have no voice in that you know you basically need four or five years and preferably a PhD to be able to formulate a product so when you've got people like Sephora saying right we will no longer stock products with this SPF in it or you know parabens in it or you've suddenly got a retailer and a consumer telling a scientist how to create a product and that's wrong that's wrong Are you excited by the beauty industry at the minute in terms of innovation and things that are happening? Or do you think we're just seeing lots of the same things? Well, it's interesting, actually, because in a way, the innovation in the UK and innovation globally, in fact, probably not out of countries that still test on animals. Innovation is actually quite low in the beauty industry, especially in the skincare industry, because you've not been able to develop any new products and new active ingredients since the ban on animal testing. Because you you can't, you can't test on animals. And that's right. No product should ever beauty products should ever be tested on animals but actually what that's made people do is go back and look at what really works so every single active ingredient at some point has been tested on an animal in the past that's a sad situation but things have changed now and they've changed for the better but that's made us rethink 
retinol. It's made us rethink vitamin C. It's made us rethink niacinamide. It's made us look back to what salicylic acid, glycolic acid, lactic acid. It's made us rethink what actually works. And I think a lot of the companies who get most flag for selling into China and so by decree, allowing some degree of further animal testing, should it be necessary, it's never necessary, China. Things are changing. Coming the most flack for dealing with China, I've actually worked hardest to try and make alternatives available. So most products are actually tested on humans and are tested on fake skin cells now. And actually L'Oreal did most of the research in that. And it's why I'm quite happy to work with companies like L'Oreal. And I think they're also working really hard on the ground in China to try and get the local Chinese to realize that because a product's been available in the UK for three years, it means people like you and I have been testing it. It doesn't need to be tested again. Please don't do it. I always argue when people say to me, I want a cruelty three alternative. I always say, well, go on to the Peter website because there are brands there that don't sell into China. But that really is the only way because animal testing has been illegal in the US and the UK and in Europe for well over a decade now. So products aren't tested on animals. It's just that brands need to stand up and either not sell in China or fight within China to change it. You know, the leaping bunny certification and things like that, companies have to pay. They are profit-making industries, those uh, legislations and those kind of the labeling that you can put on things. PETA has its problems massively, but I think PETA are very strict about who they regulate to be PETA approved. And I do think that's the gold standard if you don't want products that have been tested on animals or allow third parties to test on animals. We're coming to the final few products on your list. So can you tell me about the sixth product and the meaning behind it? CeraVe Hydrating Gel Cleanser. So CeraVe only became available in the UK about two years ago. And I met one of the founding dermatologists. And as I always say, you had me a dermatologist <laughs> because it was founded in the 70s in America by four dermatologists. We hardly have any products over here. Do you have them in Australia? A few, but not yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah. I think you probably get the same selection we have. And when you go to the States, just if you ever go to the States, stock up. They're such amazing products. They are mass market, reasonably priced, full of active ingredients. Obviously, the main active ingredient is ceramides, which are, it's kind of like the glue that holds your skin cells together. So if you have a healthy level of ceramides, they don't actually sit in the cells, but they, they're almost like the cement that sits, sticks the brick wall together. Then you lose less water, so your skin is healthier and it's optimized. So they stop something called transepidermal water loss. But they have high levels of salicylic acid and, and glycerin and everything that they've put in has a role. There are no fillers in that range. And they're really reasonably priced. And when people say to me, when mums say to me, right, okay, so I've got a teenager like 11, 12, 13, just going through puberty, what's the first skincare range I should use? I always say CeraVe. And I think all the products are absolutely great. And that is an absolute in-your-shower suits husbands, children, shower. In fact, I use it as a body wash as well. But for me, you get a really big tub of it, a pump-action tub of it. You put it in the shower. That's my morning cleanse. And then at night, I actually like Boots Your Good Skin Nourishing Hot Cloth Cleanser, which is essentially an unscented version of Liz Earle's Cleanse and Polish. So basically, because I obviously don't like scented skincare on my face. So for me, that's just a great... And team that with a flannel or a microfiber cloth or a muslin cloth, get rid of every scrap of makeup. I don't double cleanse. I don't use an eye makeup remover. I can get rid of all of my Benefit Bad Girl Bang and my Tight Liner and all of that with my great cream cleanser. And I always say as well with people is never, never scrimp on your cleansing. Like I don't believe that you'd need a million cleansers and micellar waters and all that sort of stuff. But a really good cream cleanser at night and a really good gel hydrating cleanser loaded with glycerin and hyaluronic acid in the morning, you're set to go. What is the single skincare change product, treatment or ingredient that you introduce that has made the single most difference to your skin or kind of the more immediate so I've got two okay so I remember the first time I ever used a product and I thought a skin product and I thought wow 
whoa. And I was probably about 30, 31, 32. And Clinique launched turnaround cream. And sadly, it's not the same formulation. And it was the first time I ever used a glycolic overnight gel. And I still, to this day, like overnight acid gels. I don't, I'm not really an acid toner everyday person. I like to sleep in a sort of lightweight gel moisturizing acid. And I really like SkinCeuticals, Glycolic 10 Renew, which is basically exactly like good old Clinique turnaround cream used to be. And I remember waking up the next morning and thinking, wow, probably the first time I'd ever exfoliated my face in my life. <laughs> it exfoliated, it hydrated, it resurfaced. Like you wake up and you go, ooh, this is my skin on its best day. And it's still informed the fact that I still like Sunday Riley Good Jeans, which is a lactic acid one, which is great as you get older because lactic acid is more hydrating. That's the way I like my acids. And if you're going to make the quickest difference to your skin overnight, it's that. In terms of treatments, I remember when IPL hair removal was introduced and I have never had an ingrown bikini line hair since because it's amazing. And I think actually by association, people talk a lot about lasers and I still think IPL, which is intense pulse light, which is sort of a form of laser, but it's a broad spectrum, I still think is amazing. In terms of for my age group, pigmentation, age spots, broken veins, few zaps, short-term pain, long-term gain, amazing. You have to keep going back because obviously by the time you get in your 50s, your skin is repairing itself less quickly. But once a year, you can go in, age spots crust up and fall off, little veins shrink. It's amazing. It's like it's like when you have your hair, IPL hair removal, and you think, oh, that hasn't really worked. And then you go to pull the hair and the hair just falls out. It's like, oh, hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> it's well worth it. <laughs> and the seventh product on your list. Can you tell me? I was saying about neck creams and eye creams, and I do think you should demand as much from your body products as you should from your face products. So for me, I do love Ameliorate Body Lotion. And that's a relatively new one. I've only been using it about a year and a half. And Ameliorate is basically lactic acid and a body lotion. And it's really hard to find really great body products that have active levels in them. So you're looking for retinol, you're looking for vitamin C, and you're looking for it at a good level as well, not just paying lip surface to it. And Ameliorate is a I mean, if you shave your legs and put it on, you'll know it tingles. <laughs> it's a lactic acid overnight. Smells like lactic acid, which is sort of slightly off-putting, slightly sort of off yogurty smell. But you have a shower, slather it on, wake up the next morning, your skin will be so soft because again, you've got that aha moment where you've literally aha. Uh-huh, you've put an AHA, an alpha hydroxy acid on it. And you can use all the body oils in the world and all the moisturizers in the world. Next time you shower, it's going to wash away. If you actually resurface your skin with an acid, you will notice the difference. And it's the same with foot creams and hand creams and all those things. So I demand as much of my body products as I do of my face products. And you know what? That's where the market should go. There there needs to be. Dove have just launched Pro Age, which has got lactic acid in it. That's amazing because it's available on the high street. Rodial have got a Nip Fab, which is a glycolic body lotion. In fact, it's their Rodial nip fab range so it's the cheaper range it's the sister range but more products need to have really good levels of actives in for the body because you know you know we all get dry shins and we all get sort of wrinkly elbows and we all get like you know ingrown body hair or keratosis pilaris or any of that sort of and we need the same level of actives in our body product who is someone who you feel has really shaped you as a person personally my father was the biggest influence in my life because he taught me that hard work will get you anywhere in life and he never ever sort of looked at me and thought oh you're a girl you know you're never going to get anywhere in life probably because I didn't have a brother so he kind of lived vicariously through me and I was the first one in my family to go to university and he'd never been to university he always wanted to go first person to work on a magazine first person to have a career first person to be on tv so he was incredibly proud of me professionally I have to go back to people like Bobby Brown 
Frank Toscan and Frank Angelo of Mac, who I met and were incredible. And actually Paula Begon, who is the founder of Paula's Choice, if you ever get the chance to interview her, mad as a box of monkeys. I love a really opinionated woman. But she was the first one when she wrote a book called Don't Go to the Cosmetics Counter Without Me, when I was a sort of formative year journalist. And she was the first person to lift the lid off skincare and go, actually, this is rubbish, this isn't worth it, or this is full of filler, or, you know, and she would analyse inky lists. And, and I just think... And to this day, I still love some of her products. If she, she launched Ceramide Rich Eye Product, eye cream, and she always said eye creams were a waste of time, like she said, neck creams were a waste of time. And I thought, what's going to be interesting about this is if she's going to launch, it's going to be great. And it was. You know, it had peptides and it had retinol in it, it had caffeine in to get rid of puffiness. She basically formulated the best eye product she could. And she has retinol body products and she has salicylic body sprays if you've got back knee or you've got breakouts on your chest. And I just think nine times out of 10, the products she formulates work on the same principle that I work on, which is it's got to have active levels at work. It's, it's all fabulous and no filler and that's what you want um and so Paula I I really like she's really feisty really interesting Bobby Brown is still really interesting and I remember one of the first formulating chemists I ever interviewed was a guy called Dr Daniel Mays and Dr Daniel Mays used to be the head formulating chemist at Estee Lauder and he formulated advanced night repair which was the first serum I ever used and I just loved him he was amazing he was another one that just told it like it is before the days of marketing and I do think he still formulated some of the best Estee Lauder products and again used to oversee Clinique and things like that. he would have overseen turnaround cream back in the day when it was amazing I think he's retired now but yeah he and what I also loved about him was he'd be a formulated chemist that had a yacht and he'd always come he'd be coming brown as a nut you'd be like and then he'd tell us all about why sun was so damaging for our skin. But I loved him. He was great. He was really inspiring. First person ever probably to talk about science in skincare. Because French companies are very about the, about the mystery of skincare. And they don't really talk about active ingredients. They take you on a journey. Whereas he was, in fact, he was French uh, or Swiss. But he was, he'd been in America his entire career. So he was all about, let's be transparent about what actually goes into these products to make them worth the money you're paying. And I love that. When you think about success, whether that's in life or, or in your career what do you kind of define or categorize as being successful and do you feel like you've reached that I think when I was younger it was milestones so working in magazines working on a women's magazine working on a women's magazine I loved Marie Claire working on a newspaper I liked I remember being made redundant when I was about 29 or yeah, 29, and I just bought my first flat on my own and thinking god what the hell am I going to do you know just signed up to a mortgage thank heavens I just signed up to my mortgage I wouldn't have got a mortgage at that time and I remember cold calling the Daily Mail and submitting a, an article and them saying to me well we won't pay you if you know we don't know who the hell you are come up with some ideas we'll commission you but if we don't run it we won't pay you and I remember I, I came up with this idea and I wrote a piece and it was so long ago that was when we had answering machines and I remember coming in one night and and pressing the answer machine and this woman said hi it's Louise Atkinson from the Daily Mail just want you to know that we're running your piece in tomorrow's paper so put your invoice in it was one of the most intelligent well thought out beauty pieces and we'll commission you to do whatever you want and I remember at that moment thinking oh my god I'm, I can make it in this industry because previously I'd sort of struggled slightly and been on magazines that hadn't done very well and so that was a point at which I thought having that outside recognition was important and then I think the first time I ever did TV and like watched it back and thought god I'm awful <laughs> but it's fine because nobody's watching it 
satellite TV. In those days, nobody watched satellite. And learning on the job to do that and then mastering that, I think, was really important. So I think it's, it's been little milestones. And then my most recent milestone has been leaving traditional media and working and being signed to Gleam and, and working and making a success out of this at a time when most people were taking their foot off the pedal I put my foot on the pedal and I think it's partly because I'm I'm kind of quite an independent free-spirited person and I've always relied on myself so I've never been married I'm in a long-term relationship but I've always I've always sorry David I've always earned more money than he has I've always had my own house I've always had my own mortgage so I kind of succeeded or failed on my own merit and I quite like that I quite like being able to dig deep and say right I did this I didn't rely on anybody so I'm moving forward I don't know what the next step is because I kind of feel like until a new media is available I'd quite you know what I'd really love to do I'd love to segue back into television not give up what I'm doing but I'd love to segue back into television to reach an audience that aren't on social media because I still think there is a market for a consumer-led let's bust the bullshit this is what works this is what doesn't but still respectful of the beauty industry because tv does they either do makeovers or they do botched programs where cosmetic surgery goes wrong or they just go beauty shit none of it works which is just not true beauty can be incredibly effective and life-affirming and you know confidence boosting and I think that's really important I'm probably getting slightly too old be honest I'm, I'm probably slightly too old for television now unless I have my facelift live on tv which I, <laughs> I'd quite happily do but I just think I do feel like there's a whole audience out there that you know, we live in a world where everybody's on social media. All my friends are on social media. But I still think that 90% of people are not on YouTube. And I'd still love to speak to them because I still think there's a there's a market for it. I screamed that at a BBC meeting the other day and they all looked at me like, oh God, shut up, Nadine. But it's true. It's true. Do you know, interestingly enough, loads of people in the room, loads of women in the audience started following me and asking me questions. And I said, you know, you're asking me questions that we could actually answer on a TV program and help millions. Who knows? Who knows if traditional media will ever catch up? That would be the only thing probably left to tick off the box now. But if it never happens, I'm completely happy. And I think my numbers are going that I reach more people every single day anyway. So I just have to do it via DM rather than the BBC or Netflix or Facebook or something. Well, I'm going to put my vote in for a beauty investigative series led Wouldn't by you. Wouldn't it be you. great, I right? Think, I think that would be incredible. Yeah, right. basically, basically just like my YouTube channel. So like, uh, here's the guide, here's an idiot's guide to retinol. Here, I'm going to take you around Superdrug and show you what works and what doesn't and what to buy. Here's one of my friends showing you how to use this makeup. Here's my friend talking about injectables. And next week we'll do it all over again. It's there's so much to be had. So and let's but let's see. Any commissioning editors out there, DM me. <laughs> Watch this space. Now we are uh, have reached the point of your final product. So your eighth product that you're taking with you to Beauty Island. What is Ooh, it? Oh, let's have a look. So I've already mentioned, I've kind of dropped, I feel like I've dropped a lot in and been very naughty. I feel like that I've slid amount. them in. Uh, so I feel like I've got Winston now. I need Winston, don't I, on the desert island. <laughs> Actually, I tell you what I would take, and this is really important, not for beauty followers, but I'd have to take my bioidentical hormone replacements because one of your questions was inner health. And actually, the only reason that I have the energy and the enthusiasm and the drive that I still have is because I take bioidentical hormones because I went through the menopause when I was 48. So I'm nearly sort of 10 years in. So I would need to take a lifetime supply of my bioidentical hormones and my estrogen, my progesterone. Otherwise, I'd just be lying there fanning myself <laughs> with my whole flushes going, what was the name of that product again? I can't quite remember. So thank you to Marion Gluck and my bioidentical hormones. Um, in terms of beauty, oh, I don't know if I'm... It probably have to be a hair mask because my hair's a nightmare. So probably my 
Kerastase hair mask, probably. Now, you talked us through the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for you. And now is what some people regard as the trickiest question of the eight that you specifically mentioned. Don't make me choose one. If you can only take one and throw practicality out the window, you don't have to be practical. It's just the one that will keep you company on the island because of what it represents or how it oh then it'd have to be dunhill for men which is the fragrance my father wore yeah yeah because i could cuddle up to that and it would make me feel a little bit safe like make me think like everything's going to be okay that would be my winston product and also nobody would be seeing me if however there was a man friday that was going to rescue me it would definitely be my bobby brown tight liner and my (laughs) mascara benefit bad gal bang and loads of lashes i'd be putting it on super quickly tell you like charcoal from a fire or something like around my eyes really quickly to make me look like I've got eyes <laughs> Nadine thank you so much for talking thank with me you so much I've really delight. enjoyed it thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island you can find all the details of where to find and follow Nadine, as well as the products she spoke about today in the show notes. And if you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS, or even send me an email, beautyislandpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a regular beauty newsletter called It's Beauty where you'll get reviews, recommendation and tips and tricks of my beauty column delivered straight to your inbox and that will be starting up again very shortly. Thank you and until next time, bye bye. <laughs>